0: Good morning. It's Southern Remedy for Women, and I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens. We are talking today about LGBTQ issues. Um, it any time as with any uh, of our conversations that we have that are a little bit more sensitive, we want to let everybody know so that if you have little ones around. Um, You can kind of sequester them. Um, I promise you this is going to be a great show. If you have any questions, please give us a call. That number is 1-877-672-7464. That's 1-877-MPB-RING. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
0: Good morning from MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women. This show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and I am here in the studio with my trusted co-host, Dr. Allie Brown, and have we got a special treat for you today. We have Dr. Scott Rogers, professor and chair of the Department of Psychiatry at UMMC, and today's topic is a very sensitive, but yet a very important one, and that is um, LGBTQ issues as they pertain to health, and we are going to open the gates to let you guys ask questions and and share stories about anything. We recognize that some of these topics may be a little bit more sensitive, and so we just ask that if there are younger folks around or children around that you kind of be mindful that we may be discussing some more sensitive topics and issues. And um, additionally, as always, we are always very respectful. We are willing to respect everybody's opinions as they call in, but we just want to be mindful of the very uh, sensitive nature of some of the things that we're going to be discussing. If you are a caller and you are interested in either sharing a story Um, or if you wanted to call in and ask a question. We also want it to be a situation where everybody feels very free to call and share. So if you don't want to give your name or if you don't want to give your um, where you're calling from or what have you, that is perfectly fine. We are far more interested in making sure that this is a a safe and welcoming environment for people to get the very important information that they need. That number is 1-877-672-7464. That's 1-877-MPB-RING. If you'd like and you don't have uh, access to a phone, you can drop us an email to women at MPB online. Dot org. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, <laughs> Dr. Rogers. Um, for our um, listening audience, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Introduce okay. introduce uh, yourself. I, this is the first time we've actually got a chance to meet, yeah. so I was really excited that you accepted the invitation, and I'm looking forward to a great show. But tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm on- really honored to be here today. Um, I've, I've um, I've been at the University of Mississippi Medical Center now for almost four years, and I came here to become the next chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Human Behavior. Um, prior to this, I, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, for almost 15 years. And um, are you a Vanderbilt guy? You know, I'm I'm a SCC guy, yes. we're SEC people. We're SEC
0: people. Those well, are fine now, words. Now I'm
2: an Ole Miss guy, I guess <laughs> you could say, or a Mississippi State. I'm not sure. I don't take sides, but just very happy to be here. And. Um, in terms of my professional background as a psychiatrist, I've, I've trained in both adult psychiatry and also in child and adolescent psychiatry. So I have board certification in both areas. And I'm also a co-founder and co-director of the, um, Center for LGBTQ Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, um, along with Dr. Leandro Mina. Uh, and we, um, As part of that, we have a a clinic, a psychiatric clinic on Wednesday mornings at the Jackson Medical Mall. That's an affirming, supportive clinic um, with a focus on LGBTQ health. And we have patients of all ages who come to that clinic and see me along with another psychiatrist. And we have um, psychologists working with us and social workers and nurse practitioners and a large group of people to serve the community.
0: And so um just for we've been using the acronym just for clarification for yes. the people who are listening we throw out a bunch of letters um <laughs> can you help clarify for everybody exactly sure. what we mean when we say, say LGBTQ Yes. And I don't so, know and sometimes I right and sometimes, sometimes I. I and we can
2: talk about that too if you like <laughs> um so the L stands for lesbian which refers um to sexual orientation and it's uh, it refers to women um g stands for gay and gay can be men or women it's also related to sexual orientation Um, b is bisexual and can refer to men or women Um, t is transgender which relates to something called gender identity which we can talk about Mm -hmm. if you'd like and then um, q stands for queer or questioning and i stands for intersex and Um, intersex is if you'd like we can talk about each of like these terms sexual orientation gender identity intersex if you'd like
0: yeah i think we will at some point kind of just for clarification because i'd like for everyone to kind of be on the same page and i think that sometimes understanding exactly what the acronym means, what those individual terms mean. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with the I. And someone right. said to me the other day, oh, don't forget the I. I was don't like, d- the d- I. what do you mean? So, yeah,
3: I'm learning a lot uh, yeah. as well. I, and this.
0: that's, I mean, that, that's kind of the, the I guess that the source of what we try to do here is just to mm-hmm. kind of make sure that we're disseminating, you know, mm-hmm. accurate information mm-hmm. for people and to give people more information. And I think even for those people who may... Um, have felt some connection to that per, the broader LGBTQI community, but haven't mm-hmm. really been able to, or even felt like there was a particular place that they necessarily fit in. And I think that's one of the things that we as as, as individuals, like mm-hmm. innately, we we seek out mm-hmm. those those places, those communities, those groups that that we can identify with, and um, so being able to have a conversation about a, a a decent sized segment of the population who struggles sometimes to find that whether it's in the way that things are portrayed in the media or what they experience in their communities I think is really important but getting a, at least that baseline understanding of like what the definitions mean and and what people who may identify in those ways like what does that mean when somebody that you meet on the street mm-hmm. says that so that it's not just what you think, but you actually know what they mean when they when they use those terms. So that's right. really important. Once again, guys, the numbers 1-877-672-7464. That's 1-877-MPB ring. You can always drop us an email to women at MPB Online org. So I think that's a great place to start. So okay. why don't we just kind of break it down um, even further into, sure. and I like the way that you started out by at least acknowledging that there's the difference between just the straight sexual orientation, because mm-hmm. I think that sometimes people can oversimplify it to just being about a sexual orientation issue um, and not really recognizing that for for many people, for most people, it's much deeper than mm-hmm. that. Um and so making it the true, full process and multidimensional e- experience that it is, as opposed to something that's very, it, in many instances, is just a very small part of how people identify individually. Um, so yeah, so go ahead.
2: <laughs> okay, well, and feel free to stop me um, if, if you have questions or, or if callers want to ask questions, I'm happy to. To stop, um, but the the um, the first part is is sexual orientation. Um, sexual orientation refers to an enduring attraction that you have for other people, and um, that can be a an opposite sex attraction, or it can be a same sex attraction, or it can be attraction to both sexes. So, if a person has opposite sex attraction the the term used is straight. So you say that person is straight. If a person has a same sex attraction, that's referred to as gay. And that can that can be a term used for men or women. Women have a specific term as well, which is lesbian. And lesbian is a is a um not a word that you would use to describe men, but but for women. Um, and then there's bisexuality, which is where you have an attraction to both men and women. But it really refers not so much to sexual behavior, but more an enduring uh, attraction that you have to either a member of your own sex or opposite sex. People have sexual behaviors that can be same-sex or opposite sex and not necessarily identify as gay or straight. So you can't always take a person's you know, um, sexual behavior and make assumptions that this person is gay or straight or bisexual. It really is about what is enduring And how they identify, how they see themselves. I love
0: that separating the behavior from, like the the difference between a behavior versus something that's much deeper than just the sense of who I am. Exactly.
2: Yes, because being gay and or bisexual or lesbian, it it really is. It is. It is more than just the person you sleep with at night. It's it's a broader um, sense of self than that. So it's uh, we're we're a lot more holistic in the way we view that. Um, then, if you talk about transgender, it's, that's really something quite different. Um, transgender, the, the, transgender is related to a different term called gender identity, and gender identity is something that forms around the age of three or four, and it refers to a person's psychological sense of being male or female. And you're not born with that sense um, of being a boy or a girl, Um, But around age three or four, what we know is that people begin to identify as a boy or a girl.
0: It's a social construct in many ways. In some ways, There's a lot of social, I mean, even let's, so I... I always throw in my OBGYN kind Mm -hmm. of uh, experiences here. But something as simple as, so from the minute that we do the, now gender reveal parties are the big thing. It used to be that everybody wanted to know what the baby, what's the gender of the baby. Now people want to wait and we have a big party to celebrate or in many instances to find out or to reveal what the gender of the baby is. And I think that from that point on, it's the, is it pink or is it blue? And, and so it's even in how people design their nurseries and the little girls always wear pink and their bows and there's this and there's that. You're just in the way that socially we've created, whether it's marketing, by the way, little girl stuff that is exactly the same as boy stuff. Like, for example, little girl swim caps. If they're pink, they cost a little bit more. Everybody says girls are more expensive. I say that now that I have a girl. It's really true. But there so there's there's a part of the social piece that kind of helps to do that when the when your daughter turns 2 years old and you give her dolls mm-hmm. and when your son turns 2 and he gets the Tonka truck so there are things that mm-hmm. we in our mind have assigned as related to one gender or the other mm-hmm. that I think we help to train people train children into what we believe or what the expectations are about what Mm -hmm. they should do based on their gender.
2: There's there's truth in that. The environment certainly influences this, but but sometimes it's with within the transgender community what you have is you have a segment of the population, a not insignificant number of people either, a lot of people who um, feel that their gender is different from their biological sex. So they may be biologically male, for example, but you know, around the age of three, four, maybe later, they identify as a female. Or they're biologically female, and later they identify as a male. And so their gender identity is different from their biological sex. And when that happens, it's referred to as transgender. Or um, the majority of people, their gender identity aligns with their biological sex. And we refer to that as cisgender, C-I-S gender. Um, so that's, that. you know, we're talking about 98%, probably 99% of the population. But a significant 1% to 2% of the population will identify as transgender. And that can be a shock to a family who, you know, had all these assumptions about the child's gender identity at birth. And then it's something really quite different. And there are all sorts of health implications with this. This, this can become, you know, challenging, which we can touch on later if you'd like. But getting to the, to the last term, which is the I, the intersex, intersex refers to, it's also called disorders of sexual development or DSD. Intersex refers to people who are born with ambiguous genitalia for whatever medical reason. And the doctors and the families struggle, really, with the the the, the gender reveal. You were talking before mm-hmm. about gender reveal. Sometimes it's not so easy to know because the genitalia is unclear. Yes. I, and so, I've, I've seen that right, a few times. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, um, especially historically, the doctors will look at the anatomy and make decisions about what can be done surgically. And um, they will, um, especially, again, historically, they would often perform the surgery, sometimes removing tissue, tissue that may actually allow someone to, to achieve you know, arousal, but it's removed, mm-hmm. and the surgery is irreversible, and then the baby grows up, and again around the age of 3 or 4 will take on a gender identity right so this is why it's it was it was a practice that was done um, historically that is controversial and and problematic because what if you don't make the right decision at birth you know for a child who's born intersex and the they grow up being with, made more for the parents almost right like, like more cleft for the palate parent.
0: repair if you take yes. kind of the sexual identity out of it yeah. we know now that fixing a cleft palate at birth yeah. is actually worse for yes. a child mm-hmm. uh, and but it was done because it's kind of can be disturbing looking to yes. other people mm-hmm. and so it was fixed more so for others than for, for that child and now right. we don't do that anymore so yeah. it's if you think about it purely medically mm-hmm.
3: it's, it's quite ana- analogous to that situation right. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. now what what a lot of doctors are doing is they're they're looking at the anatomy and often leaving things in place rather than making um, irreversible changes change. yeah. because things change. They're <laughs> yeah, recognizing absolutely. they're recognizing the psychology of of sexual of gender mm-hmm. identity now, and they're not making the the same kind of whole scale changes to the anatomy mm-hmm. to conform to a decision that was made at birth. And so physicians are are being a lot more careful, I would say, these days about it, and allowing some time to pass so that the patient the child can have a say in what ultimately is the, you know, the anatomy, Absolutely. the look and feel. That they're going to live with for the rest, of their, life, for their the rest body, of their lives. That they will live with yeah, for the rest of their lives. And body. we have patients in our clinic who identify as intersex and they struggle. And often these are people who, you know as adults, they didn't even know their medical history, but they learn what happened wow. at their birth and they come in and they're, they're devastated yeah. by these decisions and what happened. And they, they have lived their lives as a certain gender and now they're beginning to question it they made decisions about things like marriage and all sorts, and they didn't know that they may have been biologically different from the gender wow. that was assigned. Yeah. That's and heavy.
0: It was, yeah, it is.
2: It's very heavy.
0: Well, so we're going to give um, everybody a chance to think about that <laughs> and come up with some great questions. Sue from Beaumont, I see you, doll. Um, if you're going to, but we need to take our first break. And we will come back to you right after um, we get through with our first break of the hour. Sue, hang on, because we hadn't heard from you in a while, sweetheart. Um, Again, we are talking about LGBTQ issues with Dr. Scott Rogers, and we will be right back after this. We're back at Southern Remedy for Women, again, the show that addresses health and wellness from a woman's perspective. But today's topic is a topic for all. We are talking about LGBTQ issues, and we have with us Dr. Scott Rogers, who is a professor and chair of the Department of Psychiatry at UMMC, and who is already in line for winning the Most Patient Caller Award, our good friend Sue, who's calling us from Beaumont. Um, And we are going to go to the line to take her question or comment.
4: Good morning, Sue. Good morning. How are you, Doctor like Rogers? Is it? Uh, have you ever heard of Doctor Money? That was his name. M O N U Y.
2: I have not.
4: Oh my! <laughs> I thought I thought perhaps you had because this was a famous case where a child was born with ambiguous genitalia, and the doctor recommended to the mother that they revise the uh, you know the nether parts and, and make just raise the child as a girl. And but when the, the boy was, he knew he was always a boy. He, he she used to grow up. He, he was dressed like a girl, but he didn't feel like a girl. And mm-hmm. his mother was tortured when he grew up because she wished that she had waited to let him make up his own mind instead of having the surgery, you know, that he had no control over. And then the boy to- grew up tortured, and it, it was just a horrible story. You never heard Dr. Money?
2: No, but the story you're telling me is so familiar because we've heard, we've heard that same kind of story um, from some of the patients who come to see us at my clinic. But uh, but yes, please continue.
4: So then, uh, there, there are a couple of shows on uh, the Learning Channel on on my Directv, and, and there's there's a show about this this teenage girl named Jazz, and she keeps all she keeps talking about she's taking hormones for years so that mm-hmm. she can have grow breasts. But then uh, she keeps she keeps saying, "I want my bottom surgery. I want my bottom surgery." It's like she thinks once she gets the bottom surgery that she'll be a complete woman. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wondered how, how that's going to turn out. But she. I, I think more, most of the time it's what's between your ears, not what's between your legs that makes a difference, don't you think?
2: That's a very sophisticated way of thinking, Sue. <laughs> so I th- I think you're I think you're onto to something there. It is about the psychology, isn't it? I mean that's where gender is. It's between the ears. So well, you have your, your you know, your your anatomic um uh your your anatomy, but then you have your psychology and, and uh and and that's important to consider.
4: These are tortured people to me. They have another yeah. show about middle-aged men who have always suppressed their female side. Now they want to be females, mm-hmm. And they, they so they go through this program where they get wigs, and they get their makeup, and their eyebrows plucked, and they wear dresses now. Yeah. But they still look, look like middle-aged men in mm-hmm. dresses. I mean, they stand out. You can just tell, you know. Mm. They don't walk like women. They don't act like women. It I'm thinking, is, is that so strong that they would... One character there has a wife who's having a baby. Mm-hmm. He's lost his job, and yet he's determined to go and get this transition. You know where he starts the female hormones and everything. Right. And so it's not about what you want. Sometimes you may want something, but you sometimes you have to suppress what you want for the people's sake around you. He's got a wife who's to have a baby. Mm-hmm. This man should suppress what he wants just because you want something doesn't mean you should do it.
2: Do you know? Sometimes Sue, when. When you have to live your life in a, in a way that doesn't feel authentic, it takes a toll on your psyche. It really does. And, and P, this is one of the reasons why in the transgender community you have such high rates of depression, anxiety, and, and suicide. It's one of the most at-risk groups of people, both for children, adolescents, and adults. The transgender community, these the, the person you just described, is at very high risk for, for a depression and suicide. And drug and alcohol abuse as well, and so we we spend a lot of time working with these families, and it's you know they're they're making very tough decisions, they're living through a, a whole lot of hardship, and and unfortunately, I hate to say it, but discrimination, discrimination in the workplace, dis, you know, discrimination within their own family sometimes. Um, so it's these are these are often people who are who are troubled, but as but you know, there is hope, and that's what I would want to say very clearly to everybody who's listening today is there is hope because with with some assistance and 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 good guidance, people can become authentic to who they actually are, and they can reduce um, uh, risk of depression and risk of suicide. And that's what we're working on at the university now in our clinic.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important um, you talk about authenticity. And I think for those of us who have the luxury of being able to live what we view as an authentic life Mm -hmm. and to feel that um, most of our choices are or the way that we live is under minimal Mm -hmm. scrutiny – um I recognize that for many people, though that is a luxury and a liberty that is oftentimes I think taken for granted and I right. think um many of us who do get to take that for granted also don't always open our minds to the thought of what it's like to wake up every day and to live your life as someone else that is just not comfortable I mean it's worse than you know wearing a pair of ill-fitting shoes because at least at some point you get to take those off mm-hmm. but for a person who never really gets a chance to to be who they are um, to be able to love who they love without you know fear and I and fear I think is another part of it because um, you mentioned discrimination um, and and at sometimes discrimination is just the tip of the iceberg oftentimes the uh, many people can be targeted and um, and and be the objects or the focus of violence, yeah. Um,
2: bullying. It, yeah,
0: for and by people who don't even know them or know their walks. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm, anybody who follows me on social media who knows, like, one of my favorite hashtags is "Love Wins." And I think mm-hmm. that for all of us, you know, the I think something innate in all of us as human beings is the desire to be, to be loved and to feel worthy of love and to be able to give love. And um, so I'm all for the things that allow that to happen for love to flow freely from one person to another. Um, And I think that if we all go back to that, like that just to me seems like a very great place to start because if you look at a person across from you who you may or may not know, but if you see them through the lens of love and you want them to have an opportunity to, to be their best selves or to feel comfortable in their skin, that that's a great place to start. But thank you so much, Sue. I think you've got one of the quotables. I'm going to start keeping quotes from this show, but when you said what's between your ears and not between your legs that makes the difference, that's got to be one that we're going to keep, okay? I <laughs> like right. your ill-fitting shoes one, too, but uh, you can take them off at the end of the day. Indeed. Mike, drop. <laughs> I mean. Well, I mean, that's, I, it's true. If it were that simple... But if you can right. imagine, like, putting on that guise of having to be someone that you are not every day and, mm-hmm. and for it to be external factors mm-hmm. or fear or other things that motivate you to do that, as opposed to just being able to wake up and be who you are. I mean, I can't imagine what that's like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we're going to go on to Marsha, who's calling from Jackson. Good morning, Marsha. Hey, good
5: morning. Good um- morning. I didn't. I came in around 15 minutes, I don't know if you've discussed this before or not, but I was wondering, you know, I've gotten in an argument with friends, I was wondering if research has been done on the causes of homosexuality, and if there is possibly a biological uh, explanation for it. In other words, God made you that way. Um, anyway, I'd, I'd like to hear what y'all have to say.
2: Well, sure. Marcia, thanks so much for calling in. I think that um, there has been a lot of research on this topic. It's interesting to think historically of how, um, when you talk about causation of being straight or being gay, it's there. Historically, if you look way back, um, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say that my specialty, my field of psychiatry, did a disservice to the population and the community because there was a, a long-standing theory. Um, dating back to the 19th century, that blamed parents for um, uh, same-sex attraction, homosexuality. And uh, that, that has now been thoroughly debunked. That is a myth that we know is not true. Um, and we now know that there is, in fact, uh, biology. And I'll give you just one example of a study that was done in Boston. Um, back in the, in the 90s um, by someone that I knew when I lived there. And it was, um, it was a, a study that looked at twins. And as you know, some twins are, are, are born from the same egg, which we call monozygotic, and some twins are, are fraternal and born uh, with different eggs, and they're called dizygotic. So they followed, if one twin from a, um, a monozygotic pair, if one twin is gay, what are the odds of the other twin being gay? And they found that the concordance rate, or the rate at which um, it's the same, is around 80%, but it wasn't 100%. But they're genetically identical. So that was interesting. Then they looked at the dizygotic twins, people you know with different genetics— And they found that the concordance rate was around 40 to 50 percent, so it was less. So it proved that there was a biology, that genetics did play a role, because these are people who would be born into the same families, experience the exact same environment as they were growing up, and yet we saw different rates of concordance um, regarding uh, their sexual orientation. But it also showed, and this is important, that environment does play a role, and we don't know exactly how. It could be something that's related to the perinatal period, right? Mm-hmm. It could be something related to um, hormonal fluctuations. It's just really hard to say. But the you know there there is the the short answer to your question, though, Marcia, is that there is biology involved.
5: Wondering too if maybe because especially this is little boys. Yeah. When they are when they're transitioning from a female embryo or whatever you know into a boy, is there any possibility that maybe something hormonal, something from their mom, might interfere or or change things? I'm just curious yeah. if, if that yeah. if that might be a possibility.
2: You know, so the 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 other thing I would say about um, the 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 whole topic of of, um, of sexual orientation is that. Back in—this this this is—your question just triggered something that I wanted to point out for all the the people who are listening today, but back in the um, um, early part of the last century, people regarded homosexuality as an illness. It was regarded as a psychiatric illness, and in 1973— the the American Psychiatric Association, as they were um, creating DSM-3, the third um, uh, edition of our diagnostic manual that we use for um, all of the illnesses that we treat, they decided that it was not an illness and that they would remove it from the diagnostic manual. Since that time, since 1973, um, all of the leading scientific groups and academies um, have stated um, very, very clearly that they, that they do not view uh, being gay as an illness. And the same is true of the transgender community. We don't see that as illness. We see that as normal variation. So these things that happen um, in, you know, in utero— when we are you know a fetus and um and there are these hormonal changes and fluctuations um it 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 probably does have an effect on i mean it most definitely does have a, an effect on the way we grow and develop as as human beings but the outcome is considered normal regardless of whether we are gay or straight or bisexual or transgender that's that's
5: kind of what i Thank you. I
2: appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. Awesome. Thanks so much for calling. Said. That, All
0: right. that was you. a great question. Have a good it weekend. It was. I appreciate it. <laughs> and next we're going to go to Stephanie, who's calling from Holmes County.
3: Good morning, Stephanie. Hello. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> um, do you want me to just go ahead and tell you what Absolutely. I'm calling
0: Absolutely. Go about? ahead.
3: Share your okay. question or your thoughts. It's okay. fine. Um, okay. So um, I'm straight. But I have a sister that's um, a lesbian, and uh, we don't have any problems with that. Um, She's got a partner, and her partner is disabled and has uh, a small income from disability. And uh, the problem that my sister is facing is that she's disabled. Uh, She um, has a lot of medical problems, primarily uh, in her back because... um, she's got degenerative disc and it's been going on so long it just continues to get worse and worse but she doesn't have insurance because she can't work and she can't get on disability she's just been rejected again for disability and um, she's also bipolar and she goes to life help for that and you know a lot of times in the medical community people don't always accept your um being gay or whatever you know uh, any counseling that she got was by someone that doesn't necessarily understand being gay and um i was really wanting to find out uh, two things um with the bipolar um is there a way that she could come down there to some clinic or some counseling or something where she would be able to speak to someone that would she wouldn't feel was looking at her in a way that, you know, someone that would be open to her lifestyle and would actually be able to counsel on that, because I'm sure there's probably issues that, you know, that she might have that she couldn't talk to someone about that doesn't understand <clears throat> how she is, and also... <clears throat> We're really trying to to find out my mother and myself and and uh, her partner just we really want to get some way to help her to get better and um she doesn't she won't take money but um I would like to see if there's some way that she could get medical help for her back with maybe a uh, someone that would be on a sliding scale that we could help pay for And, um, with, with a physician that would not judge her so that her partner would feel comfortable coming to her doctor's appointments with her.
2: Stephanie, that you, you just, it, it, it warms my heart to hear someone like you. It makes me almost emotional as I sit and listen to what you're saying, um, because what a loving person you are. and, and, and how free of judgment you are is too. She's, she's, she's so fortunate to have a family member like you, and I just wanna say that to you because not everybody is like that. So you're an open-minded and non-judgmental person. I'm so glad you called too, and I'm, I'm glad you overcame your nervousness to give us a call today because this, what I would, what I would say is we in our clinic, what, what I've done is I've worked with physicians from other departments um, including obstetrics, gynecology, the internal medicine group, pediatrics. We've put together a group of physicians at UMMC, and we've done a lot of um, education work to make sure that people are up to date on best practice guidelines for treating LGBTQ patients. And um, I, um, we can see her. If you'd like to refer her to my clinic, we're online. You could look up the, the Center for LGBTQ Health On the website for the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and around a year ago, actually, as as chair of the department, I worked with all of our faculty and our administration to develop um, a patient assistance program for people who couldn't pay. It's part of our mission as a department to take care of all 3 million people in the state of Mississippi. We don't want to exclude anyone from our care. And so we will do everything in our power to see her and manage her bipolar disorder and also get her connected to other physicians with her back issues and any kind of pain management issues you have. We're more than happy to get involved, and we're quite passionate about it. Thank you.
3: We just really have lost what to do to help her and who who to contact. So this is yes. a miracle to me that I heard y'all on the radio. This is the first time I've ever heard this show before. Um, okay, yes. uh, so I, I so, go online to the UMMC website and go to right. the Center for LGBTQ Health.
2: There should be a phone number there, or you could always just go to our department and just... She'll someone from your family um, can just call in and make an appointment. Let them know when you call that you want, a, you want her to be seen in the, in the clinic for LGBTQ health. Okay. And we meet on Wednesday mornings at the Jackson Medical Mall, and, and I'll get to be a part of her care.
3: Oh, that's so wonderful. Okay. Thank you so Thank much.
2: Thank you so much for calling.
3: And I plan to call back one of these days. <laughs> She's doing so much better.
2: Well, I hope right. that happens. I, we're, I'll tell you this. We'll do our very best okay thank you
0: okay so um i know dead air is not good for the radio but i need to take a minute on that one so um maybe we can take a break so owens can dry her eyes um i'm that was just really amazing i don't know how you could have heard that and not been moved so we're gonna go ahead and take a break and grab your kleenex um, we still have our phone lines open, so if anybody else has any questions, needs help, we are here. It'll be our probably last break of the hour, so um, please feel free to give us a call: one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four one eight seven seven MPB Ring Southern Remedy for Women. will be right back after this. 7 Remedy for Women, the show about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, here with my co-host, Dr. Allie Brown, and we have a special guest, Dr. Scott Rogers, who is professor and chair of the Department of Psychiatry at UMMC, and we are talking about LGBTQ issues. And boy, if you are just tuning in, you have already missed a treat. So I would strongly suggest that you either listen to the podcast or download the MPB app so you can catch up on everything that you've missed thus far. Um, our phone lines are open. That number is one We do have a couple of other callers on the line, so we're going to go straight to the phone lines. And we are going to hear first from Dennis, who's calling from Corinth. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. And what's your question? Um,
6: well, it's not a question, it's a comment. I've, uh, I've struggled for many years with people having difficulty believing that people sometimes who look one way could feel so totally and completely different the other way. I had an opportunity when I lived in another part of this country to able to visit a facility where very severe cases um, were turned over by parents, children to the state to take care of because there were such drastic challenges with the physical conditions and, and the appearance. I saw things that I would have preferred having never seen, but at the same time, it gave me complete comfort in the idea that if—and I'm going I'm to make this a little religious because I am. If God will allow, not cause, allow individuals to be born into this world with undeniable physical challenges that make people's heart ache and also sometimes just make us so uncomfortable because we can't believe— what we're actually seeing. I find no challenge at all in understanding that there's the opportunity for something as magical as our bodies to have an internal condition that maybe didn't tweak itself quite right, that makes us, or uh, let me just restate, maybe tweaked us a little different, that people find so intolerable. The same people who accept God as a magnificent creator and a loving and kind person or being would cause something so easy to be seen that is so difficult for us. I find no understanding as to why they can't accept something that is so internal, that makes us so different. That's all I wanted to say.
0: Well, thanks so much for that comment, Dennis. I think that kind of goes back to just, you know, another way of paraphrasing, you know, being loving toward, you know, your fellow man. Um, I mean, we all kind of are created the same way. Um, and now we're gonna go on to Jolie, who is calling from Canton. Good morning, Jolie. Oh,
7: good morning, thank you for your program and thank you for addressing the issue of the, the young lady who called in. Um, Thank you for being a godsend for her. Uh, uh, here's my question: uh, I hear parents say quite frequently that um, their, their child, who's in say junior high or maybe even going to high school, said that uh, you know she feels lesbian or he feels sex well or whatever, and that they so, you know feel that because this is. So in the news now that sometimes their kids they feel are are being influenced and uh, and you know adolescence is the time that you, you know you're trying to find your way in the world anyway and um, so how how is a parent to determine if not you know a child is actually um, gay or is just being. Of, you know, influence my peers of uh, whatever, and then that's one thing. The other thing is uh, I heard you speaking about, uh, you know, being your authentic um, self, and uh, particularly, I think, uh, men who later in age decide uh, they are male and female female's uh, But if these people have been married and uh, have children, uh, they also have to be sometimes... About
2: their feeling of betrayal. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for calling. I, your Your question is 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 a great one, I think, because we do know that young people are influenced by um, what they hear at school, and also now by social media. It's, you know, everywhere it's such a big part of our lives, and so yes, there is. You know, there is that influence. I think what you're what you're looking for if you're in 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 a you know if you're a parent and you're wondering about this I think what you're looking for is something that's more enduring. So a person if if a person just you know um goes through life a certain way and then one day shows up and says um um talks about um um I don't know sexual orientation or gender identity if it's a one-day occurrence or a two-day occurrence and then it doesn't continue beyond that, that's that's not enduring. But for someone who comes in and says, you know, mom, dad, I haven't told you something, but there's something that I need to say. I'm scared to say it, but I'm just going to be honest and and tell you and and then says, I think I'm gay. I've I've you know I have felt this way for some time. I saw something on Facebook about it or Snapchat or whatever i don't do Snapchat, so maybe they don't talk about this on Snapchat. I have no idea but but anyway they you know if that if that um, happens and it and it and it seems like this is this has been an ongoing thought or feeling that the person has that that's that's really when you have to stop and say this is this is for real you know this isn't something that we want to ignore the the what creates difficulty for young people when they're coming out or for adults when they're coming out is when they they come out to someone there's the word the term we use is coming out right when you come out of the closet and you tell people um that you're you know you think you're gay or bisexual or transgender you're coming out of the closet when people do that and the family or friend group around them rejects them and says look this is a this is not how this is not tolerable within our family. We're not going to allow this. We have, you know, I don't, we haven't talked about this yet on the show, but there's a very high rate of homelessness in the LGBTQ uh, community, especially in the youth community. And um, in Nashville, where I lived for um, a long time, 40% of the youth in their teen uh, homeless shelter identified as LGBTQ and you know, of course, that's a disproportionate amount of the um, youth in the state of Tennessee, but forty percent of them identified. and these were kids who came out and they were kicked out of their homes and they're homeless and they're wandering the streets, and they're getting themselves in trouble for all variety of reasons. And so it's just real important as a parent to just be thoughtful if some if if you know your your child comes out to you and 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 starts talking about these things. Be really thoughtful about what you say and how you respond. And I think going back to Dr. Owens and her comment about love, I think that's so important. For me, it's, love is just unconditional. And I think that you, you love your, your child no matter what. And you, you, sometimes you may not understand things, and you may be confused by things, and, and, but there's an opportunity for growth, even you know, even if you are middle-aged or older, there's always opportunity for growth, and, and it's important to try to learn more about it um, before you judge. Um, so that you asked a couple of questions in there, but I think I addressed the first one. Is that okay? Jo- Jolie, did I answer the first question? Uh, um, yeah.
7: The, the other one was about uh, feelings of betrayal. Oh, of, yeah. By, 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 by
2: someone who wants
7: to be an authentic step
2: right it's 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 so hard, you know I, I this is so hard i i I know exactly what you mean because we enter into relationships and um we take vows and we we you know marriage happens sometimes, we have kids, and then we find ourselves struggling with these kinds of things, and then the question is, well really what do you do? I think that's a that's such a a, a tough position to be in, and people deal with this in very different ways. Um, and it it really is, it's up to the individual to, to determine how to, how to best deal with it, but it's a struggle. It's a struggle, not just ending the marriage, but also staying within the marriage when you're going through something as, as troubling as that, right? So it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to determine It's each individual has to make a decision about what to do.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much, Jolly, for your call. Um, we are actually, um, Nina, who's on the line from Ocean Springs, we are down to our last 30 seconds. So um, if you'd like to stay on the line, we can uh, answer your question as soon as we wrap. But we just are so grateful for having you here with us today, Dr. Rogers. You know we're going to have to have you back because we still <laughs> got people who are going to be hanging on the line to talk to you after the show. Um, but... Um, Any parting uh, words or things that you want to say? I think we've touched on quite a few things, and I love the fact that we were able to talk about the importance of support for people when Mm -hmm. they get to a place where they want to share that. Mm -hmm. Anything else you'd like to share? I
2: think we we touched on all the important issues, and I just want to say to both of you how how much I appreciate your invitation to be on the show. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm happy to come back anytime.
0: Wonderful. We are going to take you up on that. Today's Southern Remedy was produced and engineered by Jay White. With Dr. Allie Brown, I'm Michelle Owens. Thanks so much for being with us and join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.